Hello, I'm Carla Jubaley, host of the Cooking Up Culture podcast, where I explore stories of the role food plays in molding identities, preserving traditions, and forging connections. Thank you for joining me for the inaugural episode of this podcast. My guest for this episode is Parsa Ali Razai. He is an incoming intern at the publishing division of the International Court of Justice and an independent scholar of Middle East studies and social and political movements. We got together to explore how tea serves as a catalyst in building community. I started by asking him how tea brings people from the diaspora together in Vancouver. Thwarted belongingness and how different, uh, I guess, commodities and media can really help achieve a sense of belonging. It, it can be a, a, a means through which people can establish connections. And I think what tea essentially was, and that's what I tried to explain then, and this is what we were, like, I guess, conversing about, was how people through food and through, you know, other means, but ma- mostly through food and beverages and whatnot, try to, like, maintain a certain cultural connection. And not only with something that's past, you know, like constantly this idea of like the the former home and whatnot, we're trying to bring it here, but also like how can we like build something here with it, you know, like give it a little bit of taste of home, almost simulacra style, you know, like mm-hmm. here that is very much different from what we, what we get at home mm-hmm. because we also don't really belong there either, mm-hmm. like in Lebanon or Iran. Absolutely. Like we're trying to build something that is very much here. Yeah. That is just a reflection of us. I remember just you being so empowered by tea. Like, that's the vibe <laughs> I got from you. Reverse kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you were, like, so excited about it. And since that night, I keep on thinking about tea now. Like, I can't <laughs> I like stop that. Thinking, I've never thought about tea before like that. But how did you start your tea gatherings? Because that, that's really mm-hmm. what got the ball running. Yeah. So, tea gatherings. I guess this is the lore. Tea time, tea time. Tea time, tea time. Tea time time lore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this was about, I think it was May 2022. So, about a year and a half ago, actually, Mm now. So, tea generally is just a big part of, like, culture growing up here. Like, I I grew up in, like, a little cultural bubble with my mother here because I didn't grow up in, like, a diasporic, like, hub. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like North Vancouver, West Vancouver, Coquitlam, they have a lot of Iranians around. So people maintain a sort of connection to their culture and their community, like, you know, pretty, like without so much effort. But my mom was quite adamant about me preserving my language, my culture, because, you know, she had to work multiple jobs. So she didn't have that much time to connect with people. And there's a lot of classism in the Iranian diaspora as well. So when you're a working class single mother, you know, like working two jobs to like raise your kids and whatnot in a foreign country, like a migrant worker, essentially, it becomes difficult to build community and connect with people and whatnot. You know, it's really difficult to just like try to adjust, like go out and make friends and try Mm -hmm. to adjust to an entirely new like setting. So it was her and I, and we had, we still have movie nights when she's like, when we're around and whatnot. And we always had tea on the stove. Tea was, like, as much as language was a part of, like, like I guess, avoiding estrangement, it was also tea. Like, I honestly, I think tea has been the most consistent thing in the house. Like, more than anything, we always have tea together. Morning tea, afternoon tea, noon tea, after breakfast tea. 
like it wasn't a culturally significant thing for me because it was just always there. Mm-hmm. It became culturally significant in May 2022 mm-hmm. when I remember there were a couple people in my community, not Iranian, just like in, in my neighborhood who, mm-hmm. who were new to the neighborhood. And this is like kind of like the defrosting of the pandemic barriers. You know what I mean? They were looking to build community. And they, were, they felt really isolated, and I knew that. So I was like, okay, a good way for this to happen would be through tea. And this is something that's sustainable that I can host. Mm-hmm. I could just make tea. And then I was like, I asked my mom, I was like, hey, can I borrow your like old like flask? And she was like, you you will not damage this thing. I brought this from Iran. You break this, I will break you. you know, like, that's so fair. She, she, yeah, fair like, enough, fair enough. Like, everything I have is like from her, you know, so... <laughs> I, I made my like a very standard tea, like what, what my mom taught me. And then I went out and we had tea. And my logic was, uh, you know, we, we lack public space. We lack cafes. We lack a cheap sort of gathering place that people have constant access to. Mm-hmm. And they es- expect social interaction. Like even the coffee shops we have in Vancouver, it's not a place of social interaction. Mm-hmm. People go there to work, mm-hmm. right? People go there to work and consume. It's, it's always those two things. So we don't have cafes. We don't have places like a town square mm-hmm. type where, and th- this is another theme, politics and community can kind of take place over tea, like tea and politics, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's, that's when it started. And it was just with like a couple of estranged people in the community trying to get them together over something cheap and sustainable at like one of the, one of the public areas that we had access to. And it was summertime, so we could make it happen in the public spaces. And for like for context, the yeah. way that we drink tea, coffee, kind of have our midday or morning or afternoon thing is we we drink tea and coffee for like five hours. Yeah. So when when we go to coffee shops, it's not like a quick hour. You know, no. meet up with your friend. Drink or, your coffee and, and leave. then leave. It's yeah. like you're staying there until the last drop, even after that your cup is gone and you're still sitting yeah. and chatting with your community, with your friends or family. So that in in that sense, I compare it also to when restaurants give kind of like a a time block that you have yeah, to finish yeah. within like i think the one most they try to rush you yeah it's like an hour and 45 minutes and then you know we have a next seating when the way we have meals and we share food is like five hour seven hour things yeah it's a social occasion yeah like you're supposed to interact with other people phones are very frowned upon you know yeah. like and then what, how did summer of 2022 end? And this is where like the tea and politics, the political part really starts to get in. The Jina uprising happens in Iran. Yeah, yeah. And the Iranian community, like obviously like, you know, I got to be honest about my politics, you know, like communist Iranian, like there's not, the, the politics in Iranian diaspora are like very right-leaning, model yeah. minority myth type, you know, like pro-business, like very... Like looking towards high achievement and escaping like Lebanese like, community. Yeah, class Filipino mobility. community as yeah. well. So So when the Jina uprising took place and you have all these people who have like engaged in a neoliberal existence for so long, they're quite distant from politics and whatnot. They're they're trying to familiarize themselves with uh with a political atmosphere while they've been so depoliticized. Um, you had a lot of people who had progressive tendencies try to look for community where where there was none. So I would like go around and, and this is this was the time where the iranian club at sfu reached out to me again to write a letter for them and to like be on a panel and whatnot and this is the same club that kicked me out ba- basically kicked me out or alien like isolated me to the point where i left on my own accord mm-hmm. in summer 2021 so a year after 
you know, like me trying to set up cultural events and whatnot and trying to get them to like show solidarity to the Palestinians and whatnot. They wouldn't. They say like this is an apolitical club. They got suddenly, yeah, I know. They got suddenly real political. Nobody can real see me fast. right now, but I just made a face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but they got suddenly really political, really fast. And this was September 2022. And you know, I would show up to these events. We would build group chats. We would have breakfast, mm-hmm. like uh, Iranian breakfast. You know, the 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 tea, the the bread, the cheese, the rehun, the basil. You know, the tomatoes and whatnot. And we would get together at SFU in the mornings, and we would have breakfast. And slowly more people start to join. You know, we started to connect with progressive faculty whom we didn't know were like remotely progressive or like political. And we started to really build community that way. And people started to connect. So I like I consider like one of the biggest, even though like a lot of people are quite cynical about what occurred in Iran and during the Jina uprising with the repression and the lack of a revolutionary aspiration, I think one of the biggest, I guess, a couple of like highlights where the left in Iran started to realize how how much they were falling behind and how mm-hmm. distant they were from mass politics and people started to build community people started to build conscious communities political communities and I started to get connected with a lot of like progressive Iranian academics and community members and we started to build community we started to do events and event initiatives we start to go out for dinner and have tea and my tea would be present in all of these different contexts. And I, and I remember like for the Iranian club, for a lot of these different occasions throughout this, the fall of, of 2022, I would constantly make tea and bring it to these different occasions and people would find it quaint or, you know, like peculiar, you know, like this is, this is cool. And I'm really happy to be a part of all of that, but it became like a sort of, outline for what I can do but also it showed me the potential like just having considerations for like real socioeconomic dynamics but at the same time the fact that like people again are experiencing thwarted belongingness on such a like extreme rate and like the fact that people are estranged you know they're deeply deeply lonely and I find that like when you have that community time that community space when you're when you're getting adequate and ample social interaction you, you are able to appreciate solitude a lot more. So people can actually spend the time they have alone rather than feeling lonely and wanting to connect online. Mm-hmm. They spend the time like doing things they love and they needed community and that politics and tea can be a great way to build that community. So halfway through, like when it's early 2023, like, I mean, at that point I already figured it out, but I started to like be more conscious of it. I was like, okay, like, there's clearly something about like, because I was getting into like tea snob culture, you know, I was thinking about becoming a tea sommelier and I noticed like, they're, they're so extra, like they're doing so much and it's so esoteric and classes, mm-hmm. classic, classicist. So I was just like, yeah, like honestly, the, the more basic the tea is, honestly, the more delicious it is. And most of the tea is just like the, the significance of the tea is how it connects people, mm-hmm. not necessarily like how experimental or exotic or delicious it is it's just like a thing you don't need to overcomplicate it it's just a thing that people need to gather around Mm -hmm. and just chill feel a little energized feel a little tingly and sharp that's (laughs) it don't complicate it you know and you know the more i i try to get into like tea culture and like tea sort of histories like i noticed there was a strict division between like how tea 
was being used in communities, especially meta communities, and how tea was like like going into this sort of renaissance, like this like sn- snobby tea culture that was mm-hmm. developing in the and the I, I hate this term, but like in in like the, the imperial metropole, the European European settler colonies and European metropole in the West. <laughs> That's what I'm referring to. The Just West. Quote unquote. I, I hate know, it. It's, I know I it's a bullshit thing. Too, but... It's not a real thing, okay? <laughs> y'all, y'all white people, there's no West, okay? Stop it. Like, Wake up. The West goes like kind of north too. <laughs> there is so... literally what are the boundaries, y'all? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Fuck miss me with that bullshit. You know, like it's not a real thing. Good good text to read on that would be The End of Two Illusions by Hani Daboshi. Uh, published in December twenty twenty two. I'm not fond of the guy, but great writer guys like a polemicist like lenin very similar styles he's essentially reiterating points he was making in the past and mm-hmm. in, in his in his oeuvre you know if i'm able to dabble with some jargon <laughs> uh, fancy schmancy jargon but yeah that's like they they have a very snobby culture around it and i was like what the fuck like tea is supposed to be for the people like it really is right if you think about it, it's a very community-based drink that reminds me of how, like, a lot of tea places here in Vancouver, they have, like, afternoon tea. Yeah. And there's these extravagant $150, like, sandwich towers. Yeah. And then you get a tea. Like, you're paying $150 fuck. for tea time. You can make all of that at home for, like, <laughs> like even with the tiny sandwiches. If you insist. If you insist on the tiny sandwiches, 20 bucks. Dude, it's absurd. And it's so, like, imperial, colonial, and white. It makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, one community that I feel like has done tea culture some justice here is the South Asian community. Absolutely. They have, like, chai, chai yeah. like, time and whatnot. But, like, it's it's quite different. And it's delicious, too. Mm-hmm. Like, But it's, like, milk-based, usually in Middle East, North Africa, except for Yemen, I think. But usually in Middle East, North Africa, you don't add milk to your tea, mm-hmm. right? It's just straight up, you know, tea and water and some spices there's a lot of history behind like these these cultures of tea it's really a means to an end like obviously you can make it taste real good you can play around with it you can make special tea so you know i started to make that realization so you know even though i engage with all the like the history and like the chemistry you know i'm a bit of an alchemist (laughs) i i i don't try to complicate it for people so when we have tea time when we try to build community it's very basic you know like i'm just i'm supplying tea on mass to a lot of people as many people as possible i'm very industrial about it i have like a i have like a whole division of labor you know like there's a like a there's an assembly line for it at home, you know. What's like, your equipment that you were talking about earlier? What equipment do you use? Okay, so it's honestly not that complicated. Like a metal <laughs> kettle that I can put over a stove, mm-hmm. right? But when it comes to the remote stuff, stuff that I can move around, I have an electric kettle. But I don't use it at home. The electric kettle is for when I, like, for example, there was there was the strikes at Simon Fraser University mm-hmm. for the Teaching Support and Staff Union, I think the TSSU and I made tea for the picketers on multiple occasions and I made like hundreds of cups of tea Mm -hmm. like and I (laughs) used my electric kettle to get hot water and I would use the connections I had at the the incredible establishment that is Fun 99 at Simon Fraser University's (laughs) Cornerstone that I had good rep with them because I would constantly go and get Vietnamese coffee and number 34 (laughs) (laughs) which is an incredible soup okay it's wontons barbecue pork and veggies with egg noodles fucking delicious (laughs) so good but I, I, I used to I used to be a regular customer, so I would go there and be like, hey, can you fill my jug? I had this massive jug of water. And I was like, can you guys fill it up for me? I'll get a coffee, too. And they were like, yeah, of course. 
No doubt, homie. <laughs> How was, what was the reaction of you, Pat? Did you know the people who were picketing? Yeah, you, I knew a lot. Yeah, okay. I mean, a lot of them are my colleagues mm-hmm. and, like, my friends. So, you know, I would, we would get together, and I was like, you know, I have, like, a lot of tea. Mm-hmm. And, dude, I, I literally, for multiple days, I made tea for hundreds of picketers, and I got through maybe, maybe a quarter of my supply. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. I what have was a lot reaction? I mean, like, we, we started to find other people who were, like, mostly South Asians, but a lot, there's a lot of Iranians at TSSU because, obviously, the brain drain sort of situation, a lot of Iranian grad students come here to study mm-hmm. for, obviously, like, immigration, too. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the Iranians, like, they flocked to the tea, but I also noticed South Asians, they wanted to converse about the tea. They wanted to talk and, like, oh, like, oh, you guys do this and that. I like this, too, too, too. but, like, they wanted milk. To add to it, and I was like, oh, man, man, "Come on, stop it!" But there was actually a British woman too who wanted to add milk to the tea, and I was like, "Okay, it's cool for the South Asians. <laughs> you can't do this, okay? Chill <laughs> like, the fuck out. <laughs> you know, like, know your place." <laughs> but yeah, so I I made tea for the picketers there. But essentially, like, there's a remote supply that I have the electric kettle and the flask, the metal flask, the big one that you saw today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, essentially, like that's the remote operation. But at home, it's just like a pot, you know, and we have multiple pots. There are my mom's pots, which are like elites. They're really good. I'm not allowed to touch those, but I have been since she's been away. We're not going to tell <laughs> her that. I hope she doesn't watch. I mean, she will. She's going to whoop my ass. <laughs> yeah, you know? Sorry, mom. Sorry, Sorry auntie. Mom. <laughs> at home, it's much simpler. It's just a pot, uh, like a like a metal kettle that you put over the stove and then all the all the different types of tea and spices. And, like, I create this, like, majun that stays between us. These are secrets. I mix in, like, honey and, like, rose, like, extract or, like, rose water or, like, just straight up rose. And I pour in a little hot water and I make this majun before I pour it into the tea to get, like, that's what you got today. That's where, like, a little bit of sweet kick comes from. But it's also, like, a little bit of rosy and flowery. Have you ever thought about selling tea mixes? No. Why? It's for the community. It's been successful so far in making a lot of community. And, like, obviously one community that it's been successful in making is the sort of progressive queer MENA community Mm -hmm. that we've been a part of, like, we've been able to create. Mm -hmm. And it's a testament to the incredible people involved. But a lot of people think the tea has a lot to do with it. It literally is, again, making it cheaper for people to gather Mm -hmm. and consume something when they're tired. Right? That's it. It, It's literally it. It's an excuse. And people, they don't realize it's an excuse because they think they're going somewhere to consume something of worth right they're getting an experience but all they're experiencing is each other's company Mm -hmm. unadulterated unfiltered that's it right so like and and i hope people realize that at some point but honestly it's a difficult realization because like we've lived so long thinking that we i mean we have to like we again talked about the sort of macro sociological dynamics of it it's difficult for people to build community right now i wonder how has your relationship with your heritage evolved since May 2022? Hmm. Since I remember you were saying that you didn't really grow up in, uh, in these like cultural enclaves. You like yeah. you had to like you were your mom and your sister basically. So yeah. how has it evolved since then? So I've been really lucky because I like I would al- almost like despise some of my community members about their politics and you know some of their like quite honestly, like exclusivist, racist, homophobic, and like like really reactionary tendencies. Mm-hmm. And I had a really hard time growing up here because of that. Mm-hmm. So 
And I saw how they harmed my mother as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a supportive community. It's also a predatory community. A lot of immigrant communities pick on their own vulnerable ranks. Absolutely. Right? Especially, like, single women, like, like, like immigrant working women. That, 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 that they're quite a demographic that is hyper-exploited, obviously, and quite vulnerable. And I saw how my own community was... Um, my supposed community was exploiting and taking advantage of my mother on multiple occasions. So for me, since then, like finding, you know, like-minded Iranians, Iranians with similar experiences, you know, I had, I didn't know that there were that many Iranian communists, and there are, there are a lot of them, and they're awesome, like, you know, they're incredible people, and connecting with them has been a quite, like, an incredible experience. I've never felt, like, I, I we talked about it before, but I feel overstimulated, and the amount of, like, joy I felt in the last couple of months, even, and the past year, just connecting with the right people and helping them connect as well mm-hmm. and helping them like build community and get like like for me politics is supreme obviously but mm-hmm. like helping them also like at times like achieve some sort of political knowledge and political literacy as well um but that that has been quite important for me i mean the the sort of farsi i spoke for a long time was very like you know Ketobi, you know, like it was very 50 like year old Iranian 50 woman. year old Iranian woman that never swore. You know, like, <laughs> so I would be around these Iranians that would say these swear words, and I was like, don't say it, please stop saying it. My virgin ears, you know. Like, <laughs> so I, there were there was like different personalities, and I feel like my personalities are starting to catch up with one another. Oh, wow, because like my my sort of Farsi speaking Iranian personality was this like almost like this little Iranian boy that was like... You kind of grew up. I feel like you kind of like found your... Not found yourself, that's so cliche, but you kind of like found your place, I guess. Yeah. Or like the, your belonging through it. There was more symmetry because there was a great deal of asymmetry in like my own personal development with like my family life and the way I used my language and saw my language and culture as something that was for home, mm-hmm. for family. Mm-hmm. You know, like this very like... In the hyper yeah. yeah exactly right there was this great partition in my own life and this dichotomy was like harming me in some ways because I always make that distinction quite clear too and so it was the first time that I was using my language politically it was the first time that I was using it quite actively and culturally and like in a in a pa- more active way than a passive way it was much more adaptive and improvised than what I had gotten used to at home where it would be like around bouts of anger with my mom that I would show improvisation and adaptation to my language use and my lexicon. But because of that limited lexicon, I wouldn't be able to express anger. But because of the amount of like Iranians that I've been interacting with now, you know, you know, you get into an argument with your mom and suddenly you have an arsenal of vocabulary <laughs> that you can tap into. <laughs> and then you realize your mom had it too. <laughs> And she was just not using it in front of you. And then she uses it against you. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm at my wit's end. <laughs> Too big for my britches, this conversation is. And so I would get sunned all the time now. But I'm catching up. And so for a long time, obviously, I'm more... Like, I'm very comfortable in Farsi. Like, I can read, write, like, even to an extent academically. I can speak fluently, barely with an accent. It's fine. But English is obviously the most comfortable tongue for me. But like for for a moment now, I'm experiencing not only like the the sort of 
nudge to even go and like it, it attain more literacy in the Farsi language mm -hmm. because it's so crucial to community development and like my social life now. But also, I, I, I noticed that like my personalities are starting to align. That's kind of where I'm at. So I'm seeing more symmetry between my personalities and my social life because they're sensitive. And obviously, there's like less white people in my life altogether as a result. <laughs> but that's like certainly something that I've noticed. And you know, I feel at home in multiple communities. Mm -hmm. Like our MENA community, I feel so comfortable there. Me too, yeah. Right? It feels like I'm going to say something that's like pretty bold. Like I almost have this like hijab like relationship with my hats because of the fact that my hair is thinning and falling. Mm -hmm. And I'm quite vulnerable about that. Mm -hmm. And it causes me a lot of like angst and like, oh my God, like, well, they think of me differently when they see like, that, you know, I, I got thinning hair and I'm like becoming an old man. <laughs> and it's quite evident. And, you know, when I feel like I unveil, it's like a sign of, I trust you guys now. It's like you feel safe with us. I feel safe with you guys. Yeah, and so whenever cool. I've like, whenever I show my, the top of my head to people, it's like, this is, this is halal. <laughs> <laughs> It's a halal space now. We're having tea, talking politics, and you can see my bald we're, ass head. We're family, yeah. <laughs> we family now. But you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's kind of where no, I that's see it. That's a good analogy. Yeah. So, like, for me, that is like. But obviously, like, I don't wear the hat, like, hats just to cover it up. It, it gets cold up there, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, I don't have enough hair on there to, like, keep me warm during, during like, you know, when, when the breeze comes, you yeah. know? So that, that is, like, a pretty big part. So, like, I, I also keep track of, like, when I start to feel comfortable enough with a group mm -hmm. that I unveil. And the meta community is, like, a community that I feel that with the Iranian community because there's so many bald men. Yeah, you know? well, like, it's kind of, like, just... It's very normal. It's very normal, but yeah. around like white people mad. Like even though they got like baldies too, it's not like as they don't bald at the age and yeah. rate we bald at. Dude, seriously, men and women. Yeah, <laughs> it's, men and it's, women. It's rough out here, yeah. bro. Like, <laughs> we were having this conversation in the car. Like we seem to grow so much hair, just not on our head. Just not <laughs> on the place that culturally it seems the most like appropriate. Yeah. But you know, like that that for me like is an indicator, and obviously like. Like the comfort, like again, we talked about safety and stability and comfort. Mm -hmm. But that, that like for me, when we talk about who I am, like for me, comfort is really important. Mm -hmm. Belongingness is really important. Some a place where I feel like I don't have to, I guess, like growing up here, and I'm sure you experienced mm -hmm. this too. You always need to code switch. Yeah, absolutely. You always need that other personality to just keep and maintain to the mm -hmm. point where you start to lose yourself. Mm -hmm. And honestly, for the past couple of years, that caused me so much anguish, especially during the pandemic, because you have to spend all that time, you you, know, you spent all that time and energy mm -hmm. building up this persona that was very much curated for people that necessarily didn't consider you to be a part of who they are. Mm -hmm. And like, there was that, again, great asymmetry. Mm -hmm. Over the pandemic, all you have time for, and the person you're spending time with mostly is yourself. Mm -hmm. And that sort of misalignment starts to really really impact you and yeah i think i think us maintaining that and then spending the time deconstructing it and finding community and feeling comfortable it, it feels like like is this good or normal mm -hmm.
am I experiencing something uniquely good or something that's just very normal mm-hmm. for people? Mm-hmm. It's just like feeling comfortable, mm-hmm. feeling in community, feeling like I can be myself around a group of people of my own choosing. So I feel like I felt like with the decisions I made in the last like couple of couple of months, couple of years, it's been take the time, take the serious time and build something that'll last all of like the community for a lifetime. Build the infrastructure, get people connected, get them to realize they share much more than, you know, like that they than they don't. That was Parsa Ali Razai in conversation with me, Carla Jubaley. Join me next time for another episode of Cooking Up Culture, where there's a story in every bite.